speaking in my heart, and I just wanted to kind of share. And uh, these these two encounters, I'm calling them Jesus encounters, just really uh, came to uh, the forefront of my heart. And um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend some time just sharing with you a little bit of my my uh, journey the past few weeks with the Lord, and and then we'll. We're going to briefly just kind of observe these two men together. So as, as, we, as we do that, as we continue to prepare our hearts that we might encounter the Lord today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we, and we praise you today. We thank you that Christ still encounters people today. We thank you, Father, that uh, there there was a day in which uh, Christ encountered us. There was a day in which Jesus came my way. There was a day that Jesus called out my name. There was a day that Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to fellowship with you now. And we just simply cannot worship enough, give enough thanks, express enough gratitude, be humble enough, serve enough to express how wonderfully we have been lavished in your grace that Jesus would come our way. So we, we, we just want to say thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We want to talk about your goodness and your, your grace and your greatness. But we don't want to just acknowledge those things. We don't want to just talk about those things. We don't want to just affirm those things. We don't want to just read about those things. God, we ask that today that those things might be real in our own lives, in our own hearts. That the faith in which we talk about and in which we affirm and which the, the church is built upon might be the faith in which we hold, in which we cherish, in which we treasure, in which we have experienced And so, Lord, for that to happen, Lord, you, you must move today. We ask that you have your will and your way in our hearts, that you remove all distractions, that you remove all, all sinful thoughts, selfish thoughts, distracting, disturbing thoughts, wayward thoughts, doubting thoughts, straying thoughts. And that you would give us eyes to see and behold and ears to hear and hearts to embrace. And that the Spirit might speak loudly today above and beyond the preacher. Above and beyond the speaker. That the Spirit might be the main speaker today in our hearts. And as we look to your word and as your spirit moves, God, that you might transform us beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we've come expecting, beyond what we're prepared for, beyond what we have come anticipating. 
Because, God, you've promised to be that kind of God. Above and beyond what we can even think or imagine to ask. And we pray, God, that you would move in that kind of fresh power and grace today. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, I've, I've, I've had some really sweet times with the Lord in the, in the past few weeks. And the reason why that's such a great thing is because I've, I've had several months that have not been so sweet. I've had some dry months, some cold months. You know what I'm talking about. Our spiritual life, we have seasons. We, we ebb and flow. We, we go for a while and our souls are parched and dry and weary. And it seems like uh, we're just kind of dragging ourselves through the, the, the Christian walk. We have seasons like that. And then, then we have seasons like when, when the, the Lord rains cool, fresh rain upon our soul and and uh, we experience the Lord and walk with the Lord, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. God has been working on my heart. God has been speaking truth in, in, into my life, exposing my sin, uh, revealing himself, speaking his word, applying his word, opening his word in my heart. It's, it's been painful at times. It's been humbling at times, it's, but it's all been good. You know, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always my um, goal, my ambition that uh, when, I, when I preach or when I teach that I do so out of study. It should come out of study. I spend a lot of time studying, studying the Bible, studying the context, studying the Word, studying the verses, studying, listening to what others have said, reading what others have said looking at tools, reading books. I spent a lot of time studying, writing sermons, rewriting sermons, editing sermons, going over the sermon, thinking about the sermon. I spent a lot of time studying because I believe it's so important. It's so important if you're going to stand up in front of someone and say, this is what God is saying then you better know what you're talking about. It's a very serious thing. So it, it's good. You, you, must, you, you must preach out of study. But it's better to preach out of overflow. It's better to preach out of walking with Jesus. Any time that you look at Jesus in the Bible, you're going to have something to say. But when Jesus opens the door, when you're looking at Jesus in truth and you're hearing about Jesus and he steps into your heart and sits down and has fellowship with you, that's a different story. You've got so much to say, you don't know what to say. Sometimes you feel like you shouldn't say anything. You should just sit there and be quiet. So the past few weeks have been almost like the perfect storm. Several things have, 
have, have come together. They've worked together. God, have, God has used them to just kind of lay my heart open and, and in doing so, just, just allow Jesus to step in and sit down. A few of those things are, are this. There, there, there's a few uh, worship songs that just kept going in circle, repeat on my, on my playlist. I just keep listening to them in the morning and when I'm going somewhere and when I'm at the gym and when I've got the phone on, when the Apple Music is on, these songs just keep going over and over. And they, they're talking about God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's love and God's strength. But specifically, God's goodness toward me, God's faithfulness toward me, God's love towards me, God's strength for me. That's been the first thing because I've just heard these lyrics over and over and thought, boy, that's good. God is good. God has been good. God has been faithful. About a month ago, Summer and I took four of our college and singles to Passion in Atlanta and every every worship set and every speaker, it was it was just it was just like God just was pushing further, the door of my heart opened further and further. Because I came there and I was dry, I was cold, I was tired. Spiritually weary. A lot of questions, burdens. Three out of all of it, three truths just kind of pierced my heart like arrows. And I've, they've just been with me. They stuck with me. They've been with me. And I've been chewing on them for about a month. And it's been good. That's the second thing. The third thing is, I thought I was just coming up with it. But now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't want to speak for what God's doing. But I'm pretty sure God led me to, I just... All of a sudden, when we were coming up to the new year, you know, what are you going to do in the year 2000? I said, well, I'm going to read a lot of Tozer. So I started reading A.W. Tozer's, and all of a sudden, by the way, in the mail showed up a three-volume work of A.W. Tozer by my friend from India. I said, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to read Tozer. So I started reading The Knowledge of God I'd read it years and years ago, but I read it, but I didn't read it. And I started reading. Now, Tozer was known in his life, in his preaching, in his writing. He was just known as a man who walked with the Lord. And uh, when, when you read him, it's like you kind of, it's like he's having a conversation to God about God. And you just kind of walk in the room and sit in the corner and listen to this, and you walk away hungry to know God like this man knew God. He would do things like he was very busy. He was a pastor. He was an author. He was a much sought-after speaker. He edited a Christian magazine. He was extremely busy. So to make sure he had time with God every week, he would buy a train ticket, and he would ride four hours from his home one way. And that, those four hours, he would pray. And then he'd turn around and come back four hours back home on the train. And those four hours, he would write his sermons and he would write his articles 
and write the books that he was writing and meditate. He'd, spend, he'd make sure every week, one day, he spent eight hours with the Lord. That's how busy he was. He needed that time with God. When you hang around him a little bit and you want to you, you be hungry like he is. And the fourth part of this perfect storm over the past few weeks is I've been listening to sermons. I've been watching sermons on YouTube, actually, from one of my past heroes who is now with the Lord. His name is Dave Busby. And the insights and the just gut-wrenching, honest preaching. Dave Busby had cystic fibrosis. He only had 15% of his lungs. He had polio when he was two years old. He died in his 40s. But listening to his preaching has been a refreshing, cool spring to a tired, dry soul. That's what I've been enjoying over the past several weeks, more more than a month now. And God's been good. It's been good. This this is so unusual, and I, I was uh, I've been so kind of um, thinking towards this sermon. I, I I was up this morning at at three thirty, thinking about praying about today this morning and worshiping the Lord. Now on the weeknights, I usually go to bed at ten. I don't know what time you usually lay down, but I if I'm not headed to my bed by 10 o'clock, I'll just pass out wherever I'm at. I mean, 10 o'clock, I'm done. I better be laying somewhere near the bed so I can fall in it. If I get up around 5.30 or 6, then I need to be going to bed around 10. That's, that's just me. I wish I could function on fewer hours, but I can't. So if I'm going to be up at 6, I better be going to bed at 10. A few weeks ago, I had read a chapter at night. I had read a chapter from Tozer. I had watched one of these sermons, and I laid down at 10, and it was just like God was still speaking. It was just like God was still working. I kind of felt like I was just laying there, you know, and and the Lord was just pouring out a 55-gallon drum, you know, of spiritual truth on me. It's kind of like spiritual waterboarding or something you know I just couldn't uh my mind was 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 racing I, I I was tossing and turning and praying and meditating and worshiping and tossing and turning and praying and meditating and worshiping and it's finally about twelve thirty. I I said the obvious I said Lord I can't sleep what do you want me to do And uh, I don't pretend to be hearing from the Lord, by the way. I don't, but it was just like, you know, the, the impression you get is like the Lord saying, I know you can't sleep. I wasn't done talking to you. I wasn't done with our conversation. You just got up and went to bed. I wasn't finished. So I, I got back up. I, I went back to the to the living room. 
And I, I, I didn't pray because I wasn't there to pray. I was there to listen. I wasn't there to speak. And I couldn't read. I mean, my eyes were too tired by that time to read. So I just I watched another sermon. And I just sat there for about an hour and a half and just listened. You know, you can worship by just listening. Just be still. About an hour and a half, I, I listened to God speak through his servant. And I just sat there and worshiped, and it was good. And you know what I relearned that night just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago now? I relearned that night in a fresh way. It was about 1.30 in the morning. So I don't learn a lot at 1.30 in the morning. But I learned this. I don't have to preach. Now, I believe I'm called to preach. I would really miss it if I were not preaching. But I don't have to preach. But I do have to worship. I do have to worship. Because you see, I'm called to preach. But I was made to worship. God made me to worship. One day preaching will end. But worship never will. That's what I'm made to do. And it was good. What my soul needs, what my soul craves, what truly satisfies the thirst in me is to worship my God, to behold him, to hear him, to love him, to know his love for me. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And the Lord just let me taste and see a little that night, and it was good. You see, I didn't encounter Jesus for the purpose of today's message. I want to state it this way. I didn't encounter Jesus at 1.30 in the morning. Jesus encountered me. Jesus came my way. He stepped into my heart, exposed my heart, revealed himself, and reminded me that he is all I need. He is the only thing I need. Now, we're, we're going to briefly look at two men today. You've, you've heard the, the passage, Luke 18 and, and Luke 19. There are two different narratives two different men we're going to briefly look i'm just going to we're going to walk back through those verses and i'm just going to make observations as we walk through these verses both of these men worship the same false god they had the same idol both of these men had an encounter with jesus jesus encounters 
But one of these men encountered Jesus, and for the other one, Jesus encountered him. One of these men was offered to taste and see. The other man tasted and saw. Now let's look at these men together. The rich ruler encounters Jesus. The rich ruler encounters Jesus. In verses 18 and 19, the first thing we learn about the rich ruler is he had the right question. He had the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew this life wasn't all. He knew there was a life to come. He knew it was eternal. He knew he wasn't ready for it. He was asking the right question. There's no better question. There's no greater question. There's no more urgent question than this question. He asked the right question. And he even asked the right person. He was in the right place. He came to the right person. In fact, this was the only person who not only knew the answer, but was the exact one who had provided an answer to that question. The reason why there was an answer to that question was because of the man he was talking to. So he's in the right place. He's talking to the right person. He's asking the right question. The problem the rich, young, the rich ruler had was that he had the wrong view of Jesus. He was in the presence of Jesus, but didn't, he didn't realize where he was. He didn't realize who he was. To him, Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus was just a good man. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not sure what his motive is. The scripture doesn't reveal his motive. He sure does speak well of himself later on, doesn't he? Good teacher. And that's why Jesus answers the way that he does. Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. In other words, if I'm nothing more than good, if I'm just a good man, if I'm just a good teacher, I really can't help you with that question because, I mean, you, you consider yourself to be a pretty good man, as, we, as you see in verse 21, right? Oh, I, I've kept all these commandments since I was a little boy. I'm in good shape. I'm a good person. I'm a good man. I'm good. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe he was wanting the good teacher to say, you're good. You got it. You'll make it. I don't know. But I know that maybe what's going on is Jesus is helping him think through this. If you're a good man and you know you don't have an answer to that question... And your goodness doesn't suffice. You know there's still something lacking. And I'm just a good man. I'm just a good teacher. My good answers won't suffice either. But if I'm not only good, if I'm God, then I got an answer for you. I can answer that question for you. 
then you've come to the right place for an answer. Psalm 34, 8. Remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In verses 20 and 21... So Jesus gives him five commandments, five out of the ten commandments. And, and all of these five are, the, are the, on the second table of the commandments, right? These are, these are five commandments that are addressing the, the horizontal relationship with one another. How we are to love our, our fellow man, how we are to love our neighbor as our self. And in his heart, when Jesus is going over these commandments, he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery. In, in, in the rich ruler's heart, he's going, check, got that one. Do not murder, check, got that one. Do not steal, check, got that one. Do not bear false witness, check. Honor your father and mother, check. I've kept all of these. Verse 22 Jesus says, one thing you still lack. One thing is missing. You know something's missing or you wouldn't be here asking me about eternal life. You know something's lacking or you wouldn't be here. One thing you lack. You see what Jesus is getting ready to say? You've got an idol in your life. One thing you lack. And it's a pretty big one. You've got a huge idol in your life. And you may have, so to speak, a handle on the horizontal commandments, but you've blown the vertical commandments. You have absolutely blown them apart because you've failed on the very first one. You've got another God, and it's not Jehovah. You worship another God. One thing you still lack. So let's dethrone that false God. Let's rid ourselves of that false God and put the true God, Jesus is going to reveal, that's me. Put the true God on the throne of your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying at this point in the conversation, here's the answer to your question. Here's the answer to your your most pressing question. Here's what you can do to inherit eternal life. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, which is the last thing he wanted to hear, the last thing he wanted to deal with, the last thing he expected Jesus to say, because after all, he has been so good. Jesus often, when he steps into our hearts, he often says the last thing we want him to say, the last thing we expect him to say, because we expect him to talk about how good we are. In other words, he's saying, sell all you have and give to the poor. What's he saying? Get rid of your idol. 
Get rid of your false God. That's what you worship. That's what you're trusting in. That's, what you, that's where your life is. That's what you revolve around. That's your safety. That's your comfort. That's your God. That's what you worship. Get rid of it. And while you're at it, do something worthwhile with it. Give it to the poor. It's just money. It's just stuff. You can't take it with you when you die anyway, right? And don't pile up a bunch of wealth and then when you die, leave it for your children to fuss and fight over and be greedy and stingy about. Do something worthwhile with it. Give it to the poor. Get rid of it. Get rid of your idol. But he doesn't just leave him with nothing to worship, right? That's not what Jesus does. That's not what God does. He just cleanses us from what we should not be worshiping. So he then goes on to say this, one thing you lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor. Get rid of your, get rid of your idol and you will have treasure in heaven. What's he saying? I know you got an idol. I know it's a big idol, but I can top it. I'm better. I got something greater. Sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Don't let your earthly treasure keep you from tasting and seeing heavenly treasure. Whether it's money or accolade or sex or lust or wealth or popularity or status or whatever it is. Don't let your earthly treasure keep you from tasting and seeing heavenly treasure. If you'll just taste and see, I'm not only good, I'm God. I've got something better than what you've given your life. You've given your whole life to this. This is what you worship. I'm telling you, I'm better. I'm greater. It can't satisfy, I can. It can't save, I can. It can't get you to heaven, I can. It can't rest your soul, I can. You're trying to cure your thirst by drinking drips, little drips of water from earthly broken cisterns when I'm the fountain of life. Let go of your drip. And drink of me. And then he says these words. Come follow me. It's me. It's me. I'm what you're looking for. I'm what you're thirsting for. I'm the greater. I'm the treasure I'm what's lacking in your life. I'm the answer to your question. Come, follow me. Taste and see. In verse 23, he was extremely rich. 
He had a really big idol that scorched the taste buds of his heart. You know, when you scorch your tongue on coffee or soup or whatever it is and you can't taste anything for about three days? Well, our spirits are in the same way when we've got idols. We can't taste that there's something greater. That we're chewing on two-week-old liver mush. Now, you may like that stuff, but... When there's a T-bone steak searing and sizzling, but we can't taste it. His big idol had blinded the eyes of his soul. He couldn't see. You see, the rich ruler encountered Jesus, but he didn't taste and he didn't see. And so he left Jesus the same way he encountered Jesus. Listen, rich and empty. Very wealthy and very empty. But now let's look at another rich man who was encountered by Jesus in chapter 19. We see in verses 1 and 2, he he was rich, but he was empty too, like the ruler. He's rich and he's empty. But unlike the ruler, see, the, the ruler appeared to be good. In all appearances, he was a good man. This is not the way of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not a good man, and he knew it, and everybody else knew it. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. There are some, there are some people with money that everybody wants to be their friend, right? If you got money, everybody wants to be your friend. But there are some wealthy people that nobody wants to have anything to do with. That's Zacchaeus. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to be his friend. He was the chief tax collector. He had worked his way up the ladder until he was overall tax collecting. So he called the shots. He was chief. He was over it all. And old Zacchaeus would run up your tax bill and put the extra in his pocket and he, you knew he was taking from you, but there was nothing that you could do about it. Is that your favorite person? He put his hand in, in your pocket all the time. There was nothing you could do about it. Whatever you think of Zacchaeus now, that's what everybody else was thinking of him. He was unliked, he was unloved, he was unwanted. He was probably then very lonely, don't you think? Nobody cared for him. Probably tried to comfort himself with his stolen money, with his wealth. Well, in verses 3 and 4, then, he hears that 
that Jesus is coming. He hears this, this man, Jesus. He's, he's heard a lot about Jesus, and uh, he wants to go get a look at this guy because from, from what he hears, this man changes people. People are changed when everybody's up in arms. Either they really love him or they really hate him. But people are, people are just, he's, he's the buzz. He's the excitement. I got to see this. I want to see this. So he's got to get a look. But the problem, Zacchaeus has got a problem. He's really short. He's de- deprived of height. He can't reach the top shelf. Any short people relate? He couldn't see over the crowd, so he climbs up in a sycamore tree. He was a really short fellow. Can you imagine that he, got, he probably got picked on? He probably, people probably made fun of Zacchaeus. He probably got a little bullied. That, that might be why he ended up tax collecting. He probably grew up thinking, I'm going to get you back one day. Keep on pushing me around because I'm short. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But Zacchaeus had no friends. He was short. He was unwanted. He was rejected. He was unloved. And he had plenty of money. He had plenty of money. But he was empty. Something inside of him that when Jesus was coming to town, he knew, I got to see this guy. I got to go find out what it's about. And what happens next, what happens next in the narrative is totally shocking to everybody in the crowd and to the guy up in the tree. It's totally unexpected. It wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the schedule. It wasn't what was anticipated at all. Out of the crowd, in verse 5, out of all the people who are gathered, Jesus picked Zacchaeus, the guy in the tree. Nobody ever picked Zacchaeus. Nobody ever chose Zacchaeus, looked at Zacchaeus, called Zacchaeus in a good way. Notice three things. And and the, the first two of these I got straight from listening to Dave Busby watching Dave Busby. Notice three things that Jesus does here when he encounters the most unloved, most overlooked man in the town. First of all, notice in verse 5, Jesus knew his name. He knew his name. Do you remember that song growing up? Pond kids should be in here this morning. They would be really proud of, uh, I remember that song. Do you remember the Zacchaeus song? Then why don't you sing it with me? But when we get to, when we get to one part, I'm going to say stop, and I want you to stop, okay? If you sing it, I'll do the motions. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a, and a man was he. He a sycamore tree, and as 
Past that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Stop. He said, Zacchaeus. He knew his name. It's a wonder he didn't fall out of the tree. Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. That's why he wanted to get up the tree. Zacchaeus had never introduced himself to Jesus. That's why he wanted to get up in the tree. Zacchaeus and Jesus had never encountered. That's why he wanted to get up in the tree. But Jesus walked into town out of nowhere in a crowd of people. He could have said, John, Mark, Susan, Kelly, whoever, I want to go to your house. You got chicken? Are you Baptist? But he looks up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, out of all the people in the town, the guy that nobody likes, the unwanted, the sinner. Jesus said, Zacchaeus. He got really personal. He got really personal with Zacchaeus really quick. Here's the point. He knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew everything about the guy in the sycamore tree. He knew his history. He knew his idol. He knew his robbery. And he knew his emptiness. Can I tell you some really good news this morning? Jesus knows your name. He knows exactly who you are. He knows everything about you. He even knows all of those things that you don't want anybody else to know. He knows all the bad things that everybody already knows. You might not know we know, but we know. And he also knows the things that you've been able to keep private and secret that you're pretty sure nobody else knows. He knows that too. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. And he won't just pass by and leave you hanging in a tree. He won't overlook you. He won't neglect you. He won't walk by you. He will call out to you. Some of you this morning, he will call out to you by name. He knows your name. You're not overlooked. You're not unwanted. Second, he knew his address. He knew his address. He said, Zacchaeus, in chapter 19, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. He knew his address. I'm going to your house. You better get down here. I'm going to stay at your house. Jesus not only knew his name, but he knew where he lived. Now, Zacchaeus was a greedy, bitter thief, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knows he knew where Zacchaeus lived. He, he knew his circumstances. He knew where Zacchaeus was, was at and he knows where we live too. Jesus knows our address. 
He knows where we are in life. He knows what's going on around us. He knows what's going on in us. He knows our address. Jesus hasn't forgotten your address. Some of you are going through some real difficulty. I know for a fact some of you are going through some real difficulty. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has not forgotten your address. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you live. And in verses 6 and 7, this is, this is great. This is really good. He knew his name. He knew his address. And he stepped. He went into his house. He stepped right into the middle of his mess. He was a guest in his home. The religious crowd and the townspeople, they couldn't stand it, could they? They couldn't stand this. The church people and the town people, they couldn't stand it. What in the world is he doing? What in the world is he doing? Doesn't he know that's the home of a sinner? But you see, that's precisely where Jesus wants to be. That's where, exactly where Jesus wants to step into your life and my life. Step right into our mess this morning. If we would get honest and, and open to Jesus enough to open up the door and welcome him in, he does stand at the door and knock. And if any man would hear his voice and open the door, he will come in and fellowship with him. Any man, anyone. But maybe some of us have enough Jesus. We don't need, we don't need more Jesus in here. We got enough. Maybe we've got too much clutter and too much mess in here. We got, we got to get all this straightened up before we can let him in. That's precisely where Jesus wants to get, right in the middle of our muck. In fact, Jesus said so, right? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The sick, the sinner. The ones like Zacchaeus who know. So the town wasn't the only ones taken back, though. Zacchaeus was overwhelmed. Can you imagine being Zacchaeus? Nobody eats with him. Nobody comes over to his house. Nobody wants anything to do with Zacchaeus. And here's Jesus, the man of the hour, the man who changes people. 
And he not only knew his name, but he knew his address. And in front of the whole town, in front of everybody who hated him and despised him and couldn't stand, they wished Zacchaeus wouldn't take another breath in this life. All of those people watching Jesus went into his house. Can you imagine being Zacchaeus? I've got to be the most rotten man in town and Jesus is here in my home eating with me, talking to me, calling me, wanting to be with me. Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. He stepped right into his home, right into his life, right into his mess, right into his sin. And in verse 8, oh, the, oh, unwanted and unlike Zacchaeus was overwhelmed to know that he was known by Jesus. Jesus knew everything about him and he still wanted him. Jesus knew everything about him and he still wanted to go to his house. Jesus knew everything about him and he still sat down in his home. He was wanted. And he was loved by Jesus. And he couldn't take it no more, could he? He had to do something. When Jesus steps into your heart and your life, you got to do something. When Jesus encounters you, you got to do something. I mean, change happened. Suddenly, he was transformed by grace. He was a new man, and he stood up and said, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor, and the other half, since I've defrauded so many people, I'll repay them fourfold. We just heard something similar last chapter, didn't we? Zacchaeus did in an instant what the rich ruler was unwilling to do. He got rid of his idol. He got rid of his greed. He got rid of his revenge. He got rid of his wealth. He got rid of what was keeping him away. What took Zacchaeus a lifetime to accumulate, he got rid of in one instant after Jesus. Why? Because he tasted something better. He tasted and he saw and it was good. It was good. None of this means anything else anymore. Jesus said, Boy, somebody got saved today. <laughs> Salvation came to this house. You can't deny it. When people start getting rid of their idols, when people's lives start changing, you can't deny it. Salvation's here. People do that when they taste something better. People do that when they see something better. 
Have you tasted? Have you seen that the Lord is good? Not just good as in a concept of goodness, but he's good in that he's been good to you. Has Jesus encountered you? Has your life changed? Or or are you the same after Jesus as you were when you encountered Jesus? Are you still clinging to that idol? Oh, I I, I, I prayed the prayer. I I talked to the the preacher. I I was baptized. I, I joined Grassy Pond Church. About once a month I come, maybe. Still clinging to that idol. Still empty. Or have you tasted? Has Jesus stepped into your heart and sat down and fellowshiped with you? And you're not the same. Let's pray. Father, we've tasted religion. That won't suffice. We've tasted uh, good old boy southern religion. That won't suffice. We've tasted the world. That won't suffice. We've tasted the pleasures of the flesh. That won't suffice. We've tasted self, and that won't suffice. Lord, would you so move in our, in our hearts through your spirit that we might see the Lord today, that we might taste and see that the Lord, he is good. He is good. He is good. For us who are in Christ, Father, may, may we have just that fresh re-encounter with Jesus that reignites that faith within us. But for some of us, Lord, I know the crowd, to me at least, looks a little low today, been looking a little low. Maybe there's some of us that realize we've tasted a lot of things and we've called it Jesus, but it's not Jesus. May today be the day. May today be the day. Father, have your perfect will and way in us. We we cry and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.